U.S. regulators continue to scrutinize cryptocurrencies and decentralized finance platforms, even as public and institutional interest in these innovations trends upward. The acting controller of the currency, even went as far as to say that cryptocurrencies and decentralized finance may be evolving into threats to the financial system in much the same way certain derivatives instigated the 2008 global financial crisis. There's clearly a lot to talk about here. Jones Day's Josh Sterling and Dorothy Giobi are here for what should be a very timely and insightful discussion. I'm Dave Dalton. You're listening to Jones Day Talks. Jones Day partner Josh Sterling is the former director of the Market Participants Division of the U.S. Commodity Futures Trading Commission, or CFTC. He advises Jones Day clients on enforcement, advisory, and transactional matters relating to financial markets activities. And Dorothy Giobi has more than a decade of legal experience as a trusted advisor to C-suite leadership regarding blockchain, distributed ledger technology, crypto assets, quantum computing, machine learning and artificial intelligence, biometrics and digital identity, cybersecurity, government relations, and bank regulation. Both Josh and Dorothy are based in Jones Day's New York office. Josh, Dorothy, thanks for being here today. Thanks, Dave. Thank you. Dorothy, Josh is a Jones Day Talks veteran. He's done several of these programs, but this is your first excursion with us. And uh, welcome to the firm. Welcome to Jones Day Talks. Tell us a little bit about your background prior to joining Jones Day. Yeah, sure, Dave. Thanks very much. And it's great to talk with you. So I've recently joined Jones Day from the emerging technology legal practice of a large global financial institution. Mm-hmm. And my work there from a legal perspective centered on supporting business initiatives in the emerging tech space. So that included blockchain and crypto assets, machine learning and predictive analytics, biometrics, including facial recognition technology, and work associated with quantum computing initiatives. Wow. The really interesting thing about these technologies is that they have applications in so many different areas potentially, and that there are use cases that span various areas or lines of business within the financial services sector. Mm -hmm. And that was certainly my experience in-house. The exploration and use of these technologies wasn't confined to one area or one line of business. Almost by their nature, they have broad applicability potentially. Sure. Where will your practice focus in terms of client interests and client concerns moving forward? What do you think will happen there. I hope in many ways it'll be a continuation and expansion of the work that I've done. I'm focused on helping clients use emerging technologies to develop and build and get to market financial services and products. And that really includes everything from sitting with clients as they think about how or where to use these technologies and how to navigate some of the legal and regulatory and other risk issues, which may really run the gamut depending on what the product or service offering is and where it'll be offered. But my time working in-house in close partnership with business colleagues, as well as compliance and risk and other partners, has given me a very helpful perspective in terms of effectively partnering with clients to help get them where they'd like to go particularly in this area of incredible explosion in the emerging technology space. So I'm excited to be here and very much looking forward to helping clients in this absolutely fascinating area of practice. 
Absolutely. Well, I predict you're going to be very busy, and I don't think I'm going out on a limb <laughs> saying that. We're living in a fascinating time from various standpoints in terms of regulations and innovation and tech and everything. It's just fascinating what's going on. All right, let's get to what we're to talk about today, and we'll stay with you, Dorothy, to get us started. A couple of weeks ago, Michael Sue, the acting comptroller of the currency, said during a recent public event, I think it was a blockchain conference of some sort, in fact, he said that cryptocurrencies and decentralized finance may evolve into threats to the financial system, much like the way some derivatives brought serious concerns and near collapse back in 2008. Now, we should be noting that since he delivered those remarks, the president has nominated a professor, Omaraba, a Cornell University faculty member, to lead the office of the Comptroller of the Concerncy. But that's the vibe out there right now in terms of their concerns. Dorothy, Given your experience and your read on the situation, what's your initial reaction to all this, to Mr. Sue's remarks and to the nomination of Professor Omarava? Yeah, those were strong words. But I think the message is that this is certainly a time of increased scrutiny of crypto assets and the, the digital asset ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And so it's no surprise, really, that this is, is coming during a period of explosive growth and innovation in that ecosystem with the development of new product and service offerings and ventures and partnerships and mm -hmm. investment and resources directed to this space. And so it's this balance between encouraging innovation and trying to ensure that the U.S. is leading in innovation and the development mm -hmm. of new products and services. And then the very important considerations around safeguarding markets, and orderly, efficient markets and ensuring investor protection. And so I think that's the balance. And I think we're seeing that play out now in a very focused way. It's also interesting to note that as we see regulators try to gain a stronger traction in the crypto asset space, governments around the world are looking at this technology and how it could be used to drive efficiency and innovation and improve their own Functions. So, for example, central bank digital currencies, or CBDCs, are a focus for almost every government, including here in the U.S. And so it is, in the larger picture, a very interesting, very interesting period. Well, it certainly is. And, and you touched on something that I'd like you to talk more about. You know, there's always that tension, isn't there, between, okay, we want innovation, we want growth, we want progress, we want these opportunities out there, and yet regulators and legislators have a responsibility in terms of protection. You've, you said it, protect the markets, protect consumers. This is a natural part of the process, isn't it? Now, how long it goes and how we get there is a different question, but we've seen this before, haven't we, Dorothy, this kind of interaction, this kind of tension? That is a tension that exists. It's certainly not unique. It's just that in this space, we see the pace of development and we see the pace of innovation and the volatility mm -hmm. and the speed of innovation bumping up against some of the regulations and that have existed over a longer period of time. And right. it's always a balance and it's not a unique dynamic. It's just that it's more intense in this ecosystem. Yeah, it's so high profile, so high profile. I think it was almost inevitable. Let's go back to Josh Sterling for a second. Josh, we talked about in our opening remarks the acting comptroller was concerned with certain derivatives. He was referring specifically to credit default swaps. 
in terms of being at least partially responsible for the financial crisis of 2008. What were credit default swaps, or what are they if people are still using them? Can you tell us what those were and how those problems were brought upon the financial system? Thanks for that, Dave. Great to be talking with you as always. You too. And Dorothy as well. Yeah. So Mr. Sue's speech was focused on the 2008-2009 financial crisis in which certain default swaps were thought to play a role in exacerbating some of the risks associated with insolvencies that eventuated among some investment banks at the time. And the credit default swaps were basically a way of buying or selling protection against the default on certain debt obligations. And so basically... One party would make regular payments to another party, and the party that's making the regular payments would be assured, at least under the terms of the contract, assured that they would receive a payment okay. uh, to cover any default on the referenced debt obligation. And that didn't quite go as expected, and, mm-hmm. and to sort of cut to the punch, 13 years later, 12 years later, you have the CFTC as sort of the predominant regulator of the markets. Many of those kinds of trades are now centrally cleared and executed on an exchange, and mm-hmm. you had a whole other division in the CFTC created to oversee all of that. So that's the short of it. And I just wanted to make one observation about Mr. Sue's speech as well. First of all, the message was quite clear that they're very concerned about things happening in the crypto space, the financial technology space, from the perspective of traditional finance and as sort of macro prudential regulators responsible for banks, deposits, payment system, all of it. I find it somewhat interesting, though, that in order to criticize new finance, which is outside the existing financial system in many important respects, they looked at something that was at the very core of traditional finance to criticize it. So you're basically saying, well, something went really bad in traditional finance. Watch out for alternative finance. It can collapse on itself. But this point's taken. I mean, this isn't a logic exercise. Gentleman's trying to make a point, and I understand that, and I think he did. Sure, sure. Let's go back to Dorothy for a second. Dorothy, are the comparisons between crypto and credit default swaps reasonable? Is that apples to apples at all? Whether the comparison with credit default swaps is the right comparison or not, the larger message to take away is that clearly regulators have focused their attention on this space, and that isn't going to change anytime soon. That creates opportunity for engagement and education and collaboration and cooperation with regulators. And so one thing I would also add that the nature of this ecosystem is that it is cross-border. And so I think it'll be important for regulatory discussion and coordination to develop here in the U.S., but globally as well, to strive for global consistency And again, the encouragement of innovation while safeguarding those very important public policy goals. Definitely. All right. Well, you mentioned engagement a second ago. And sometimes an agency or a regulatory body will put out a guidance or a white paper or something akin to it. And they will say, we'd like comments. Our regulators, at least in the U.S., the Comptroller of Currency, the SEC, are they reaching out to market participants saying, hey, we have some issues here. We like your input. Is that a formalized process, Dorothy, or does that happen informally or they pick up the phone or how might market participants help regulators understand and make sure this works for everyone? How might that go? 
There are a number of points of engagement depending on where one sits within this ecosystem. So the agencies in the U.S. have put out requests for comment, requests for information. Those are very sort of formalized requests for input processes. But there are also opportunities for engagement in very individualized or specific situations. And then depending on Again, where one sits in this ecosystem, there are regular and sustained contacts with a variety of different regulators. Sure. Let's go back to Josh. Josh, Mr. Sue expressed concern about the risk inherent to stable coins in his remarks a couple weeks ago. Talk about that. What's the worst case scenario there in terms of, uh-oh, everything that possibly could have gone wrong went wrong? What was he thinking there? Yeah. In a word, he's probably referring to some of the problems that occurred 12 years ago and even last year when I was in government with prime money market funds. So money market funds that don't just buy government securities, they buy short-term corporate debt, commercial paper, and things like that. And so stable coins play an important role between traditional finance, fiat finance, and crypto finance. And so a stable coin is a way to get U.S. dollars or other fiat into the crypto system dollars for stable coin, stable coin for crypto, and vice versa, how to get it out. So it has sort of this currency exchange mechanism almost built into it. And the stable coins are, as the name suggests, intended to approximate a certain dollar amount or amount of fiat currency. I would say on their face, but this is all virtual, so I guess stuff doesn't have faces anymore. Right. <laughs> that, that being the case, the question then becomes, well, what do you hold to assure yourself that you at least closely approximate a dollar per coin, just to give a simple example. And in some recent cases, it's been uncovered or found that those sponsoring, if you will, stable coins have invested in all manner of instruments, some of which are more risky than you would expect for something that plays a vital exchange mechanism. Mm -hmm. So here's what could happen, having said all that. You can imagine a scenario in which, for any reason, the value of crypto goes down precipitously. And people want to get out, and they want to get out, and they want to get into to cash. And so uh, they can do that, and when they do that, whatever the stable coins are holding, presumably they'll need to retire those holdings, and then the number of stable coins will go down. So what you could be doing in this scenario is causing downward price pressure on the instruments that a stable coin holds, which can include the debt of corporate borrowers in many cases. Yeah. And then you sort of don't have those same stable coin sponsors in the market the next day to buy more short-term debt. This is what happened in 08, 09, essentially. Okay. Companies would sell their commercial paper, their shortest short-term debt, to prime funds. And that commercial paper is used to do things like fund payroll and make other short-term payments. Right. And you couldn't roll it over. You couldn't roll your paper. And so you had a funding crisis. And that's we're talking about the real economy there, payrolls paying vendors, things like that. Yeah, There's a contagion issue. And so the thought is that perhaps that contagion issue exists to some degree with stable coins. And there certainly may be other risks I'm, I'm not thinking of. That, that one occurs to me, having been in the middle of that back in 08 and then again in government yeah. in 2020. So that's part of the concern. Contagion issue. I like that. I'm going to write that one down and use it somewhere. But good explanation there. Because 
listeners, we, we prepare for these podcasts and Josh and Dorothy and I send notes back and forth and so forth. And I was wondering where you'd go with that, but that was a terrific explanation. So thanks. We're mostly caught up there. So thank you. Um, Dorothy, we touched on this a second ago, sort of, but maybe this is another case where innovation is just way ahead of regulations. So someone like Mr. Sue, who has concerns, what are some of the safeguards, controls that regulators might consider to address concerns of people like Mr. Sue? What could be done potentially? I know this is, maybe we're way out in front of it, but just notionally, what might someone or someone propose? It depends, again, on where one sits or engages in this marketplace, because there are different degrees and areas of engagement across the landscape. So as a general matter, there are AML considerations, reputational considerations. Those will continue to be an important factor with respect to what level of engagement, what type of engagement, what that looks like, and various comfort levels around the degree of engagement and activities in this space. And so that answer depends on where one sits, where they're coming from, and the manner in which they engage with this ecosystem. Sure. But back to Josh, crypto and DeFi are under constant scrutiny and different agencies, commissions, even somewhat at the state level, I guess. Is this a new normal? Or based on your experience, do we settle into a situation where there are reasonable regulations and standards? And if so, Josh, how do we get there? How long might it take and what needs to happen at various levels and at different agencies? Great question, Dave. As always, there's definitely been a shift in tenor with the change in administration. Okay. When I was in government, the thought and theory was we want to foster responsible innovation in financial technology so that the United States can remain a world leader. And I know when I was there, I had conversations with some very well-established companies getting into fintech that sort of said to us at the time, as a representative of the federal government of the United States, look, we could have done this in Singapore too. We could have done this in other markets. And there is a degree of competition amongst money centers in the world to be at the forefront of financial innovation. Sure. What it seems to me now, from just the things I read and, and talking to folks, is that the tenor has shifted more towards a risk focus, sort of a risk off focus. And thinking about that in two ways, one is sort of market and investor risk, and the other one is sort of system risk. Mm -hmm. And the diagnoses on that are pretty strong in the direction of we really don't care for this and need to watch it. I think from the market perspective, that'd be the SEC and the CFTC, let's say. Mm -hmm. A considerable focus on investors, customers in the crypto context or DeFi context getting fleeced, being sold a bill of goods, a bamboozle, a hustle. Yeah. And you will always have cases about that on really anything. In any given day, the CFTC could pursue a retail commodity or metals case or a Forex case. Yeah. This is also have recently pursued uh, retail coin cases. Mm -hmm. You're always going to have that, the SEC too. So there's market customer protection risks, investor risks. Those are, of course, valid risks. There's bad actors in every market. Absolutely. There's a way to deal with that that can allow the products to be sold and to develop, but within some guardrails. That's possible now. What I think is challenging, and we'll see as, as the Fed and others roll out position papers and research papers and the like in the coming weeks, is on the system risk, the financial system risk, the macro prudential regulation, the cryptocurrency and the centralized finance both present some serious challenges to sort of traditional fiat finance. 
Mm-hmm. And it's not for me to say, as I sit here, who, who has the better argument? I mean, these are there are really great law school or theoretical arguments you can have about it, but there's also the real world. When you go to the ATM, the money's got to come out. Yeah. You have to pay their debt. You want to control your money supply as a sovereign nation. So where does crypto, which is sort of another way to think of, conceive of, and use money, where does it go? What pressure does it put on it? So that's a harder debate to sort out. And I'm just going to say it's because there's more regulators than on the market side, to be mm. a little glib. But we'll get some pretty strong steers on that for the next couple months. But there's no doubt about it that macro prudential regulators, the banking regulators, are looking at crypto and DeFi and thinking about perhaps how to ring fence the core of the financial system, the core of the banking system, which our banking system, including institution where Dorothy just worked at, mm-hmm. they play a role in sort of multiplying the money supply, take yeah. in deposits, put out loans, simply stated. And crypto is no part of that as it stands right now. So there's some ring fencing going on here, and, and it's going to continue. Well, it's fascinating since I've been paying attention. These matters have crossed over from the tech section of the newspaper to the financial section to the main section. This is main. No, I hate the mainstream news now, right? Everybody kind of is wondering where this is going. And of course, Bitcoin grabbed all the headlines for so long. But this is a very real thing now. I'm as interested as anybody to see where this all shakes out, but certainly, certainly is headline worthy and it's going to be fascinating to watch in the months and maybe the year or two ahead. Dorothy, having said that, with crypto landscape changing so quickly, what are you hearing from clients? What are their questions? What are their concerns? Are they getting their heads around this? The recent tone has caused certainly some concern. There are questions around specific use cases, questions about sort of the broader environment, but then questions about specific use cases as well. And that's certainly true here in the U.S., but as we said, these are by nature cross-jurisdiction, cross-border markets and, and services and products. So the lack of sort of a comprehensive treatment of these assets increases uncertainty. And so I think those questions are focused on all of these issues that we've been talking about. What's permissible? Where can I engage? And how can I engage? And what does that look like? Sure. The U word, uncertainty. Markets hate uncertainty more than anything. Even I've figured that out. So it'll be nice to get some clarity soon. Hey, this has been great. Let's wrap it up with this with Josh. Josh, recent events, Mr. Sue's remarks, nomination of a new comptroller. What's the main takeaway today as you look at this landscape? What do you want our listeners to know and to hear? To state a point, which I'm sure our listeners will regard as obvious, it's about to get serious in terms of taking a hard look at crypto and fintech regulation in this country by the financial regulators. I would add to the list something that was just announced yesterday, which is there's a sitting CFTC commissioner, Dan Berkowitz, who had previously been the GC at the CFTC, is leaving his role as a commissioner at the CFTC to go be a general counsel at the SEC. So that's some serious legal firepower going over there. All this suggests to me that as we consider what the outward bounds are, right. what regulators believe are possible or prudent to do by rule, we should look farther still. There's some pretty serious thought going into this, and folks should be prepared to go through the regulatory process, try to inform and influence rules. And from whatever perspective they have, if they have a desire to challenge rules, to think about ways to do that through the legal process. So I think we're in for it. 
Interesting time, like I said before. And by the way, Josh, every time we talk, you always drop one gem out there. It, it's about to get serious. I like that. We should put that on a, on a bumper sticker. It's about to get serious. And how true, right? So we're going to leave it right there. Although I want to thank Dorothy and Josh for being here again. Dorothy, this was your first Jones Day podcast, right? It was indeed, Dave. And yes. was it all that you hoped it would be? <laughs> Everything and more. Of course. Absolutely. Of, of course. Well, hey, given what you two talked about over the last half hour or so, I know we're going to talk again soon because the news never ceases when we're talking about this space and this sector. So thank you both for being here. We're going to do this again real soon. Thanks, Dave. All right. Thank you both. You can find complete contact information for Josh Sterling and Dorothy Giobi at jonesday.com. While you're there, visit our insights page. You'll find podcasts, videos, publications, newsletters, blogs, and other interesting content. And while you're at that insights page, look for our new dedicated fintech page, which is more information regarding the kind of topics we talked about today. Look for that soon. Subscribe to Jones Day Talks at Apple Podcasts and wherever else podcasts can be found. Jones Day Talks is produced by Tom Condolis. As always, we thank you for listening. I'm Dave Dalton. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to Jones Day Talks. Comments heard on Jones Day Talks should not be construed as legal advice regarding any specific facts or circumstances. The opinions expressed on Jones Day Talks are those of lawyers appearing on the program and do not necessarily reflect those of the firm. For more information, please visit jonesday.com.